0: I think Buzzer and I have been talking about this for since Christ was a kid. Like yeah. we've been talking about this golden era, and for the while longest while we were period involved ta- in it.
1: While we were in the golden era, we were talking about it.
0: We probably were, but that, I think that was misplaced arrogance at that time. <laughs> Completely talking more, yeah,
1: talking more. Talking so you're talking. We are talking. Oh, really? A lot of talkers. I would agree with that. This podcast <laughs> is called Erase the Filter. Erase the filter. Erase the filter.
0: I started to look back at this period of time and I started to, to, to recognize that music that was made in this certain period of time by artists who were making first records and also established artists who were making very important records in their career were happening in this, this era. I, I started thinking, is this nostalgia? is this because I was of the age when this was happening. Like I was coming of age when this happened. So I'm, I'm looking fondly on this period of time as though it's spe- more special than another. The thread that kept coming back to me was that kids that I knew 10 years ago, teenagers and musicians that I was playing with who were say 10 or 15 years younger than me would talk about these records and these bands like the way we talked about Led Zeppelin, the way we talked about Pink Floyd, the way we talked about the Beatles. And I was like, I've had this theory now for a long time that the late 80s and early 90s, an era I'm loosely defining as 1987 to 1995, was the second of two golden eras in popular music. The first golden era being 20 years earlier in the late 60s and early 70s. Let me define what I mean by a golden era of popular music. A golden era was a time when two things happened. One, influential, established artists made the most important or groundbreaking records of their careers. Or two, artists who debuted during the era would break new ground and influence music for decades to follow, sometimes spawning dozens of copycats or sometimes creating brand new genres and being one of those artists that later generations point back to as a starting point for the genre. Now, before the hate mail starts rolling in, let me clarify that my theory doesn't exclude any artists or albums that were made outside of the era as important or influential. In my opinion, there just so happens to be more legendary bands formed and generation-spanning albums made during these two eras than at any other times since the beginning of modern pop music. It's more about a truly remarkable abundance that altered the course of music and has stayed relevant for decades, all being made in relatively short periods of time. For some context, that first golden era. So I'm going from like the late Beatles albums through Dark Side of the Moon right? Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Pink Floyd, The Who, right? Shit the Stones were doing in the early 70s. Like, holy shit, right? Where today, teenagers are still listening to those records from that era, right? And arguably, they're still listening to music made from the second golden era, 87 to 95. But And I'm talking about generalization, right? So it was very obvious for us who were into pop or like rock music and alternative music. But then I started thinking about all these other genres, right? And as Pat and I would have these conversations every once in a while, it was like, it, it blew my mind. How many different genres of music had re- records put out during this period of time that influenced music for, for dec- literally decades now? And we're still going back to that that period of time um, as sort of a second wave. It's been 30 years since 1991, the middle of this era, and arguably the year that gave birth to modern alternative rock with Nirvana's Nevermind, Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Pearl Jam's 10, and Smashing Pumpkin's Gish, to name but a few of a mountain of groundbreaking albums that came out that year. But the golden era wasn't a turning point for just rock or alternative rock.
2: It's called the uh, the golden era of, of hip hop uh, for a reason. You know, if you're if you're looking 87 to 95. After
0: a decade of finding itself through a variety of fragmented
2: mainstream exposure, hip hop on both coasts matured and found its voice. What people are trying to make today with like Griselda, West Side Gun, Conway, they're all trying to make these boom bap early 90s records. Electronic
0: music graduated from the thin beeps of early synth-pop and underground laboratories and exploded into clubs, forming countless subgenres from dark industrial to acid house, later spawning more genres like techno, trance, jungle, and trip-hop. Even country music experienced a renaissance during this era, lifting the genre back up to the arena-filled levels of the 1970s and setting the stage for a wave of pop and alternative crossover country artists. I like to use a phrase
1: like a glacial moment. You know, like the Beatles were a glacier. The the musical landscape was different after they were gone.
3: The first half of the 80s, you know, even though it gave birth to to punk and and post-punk and some really interesting movements in music, it's still a very murky time because it's coming out of disco and arena rock of the 70s. So these, you know, these sort of rebellions against that against it were just forming and so then you have in the later half of that decade some really full-fledged fleshed out musical genres happening
0: i recruited three friends to join me in a conversation about this golden era in music
3: this is david bellard a.k.a. Gordo, a.k.a. Brother Low. I'm an David artist Beller, and David producer Beller. from Seattle, Washington.
2: Hello, I'm Chuck Johnson from Columbus, Ohio. I'm a music and food educator, Chuck Johnson. DJ, Chuck producer, Johnson. photographer, and videographer.
0: I'm Pat Buzzard. He also lives in Columbus, Ohio.
2: I'm a professional musician. Pat Buzzard. Pat I'm Buzzard. a
1: podcaster, and I do a lot of charity work. Does that make me a philanthropist?
0: Now, granted, We're four white guys who all grew up between the eastern half of Ohio and the western half of Pennsylvania. And we all graduated from high school between 1988 and 1991. And we're all musicians. In fact, all of the music in today's episode was made by one or more of the four of us. So it's a pretty thin sampling of opinions, I get that. But for as similar as we are, we actually had and still have a pretty diverse set of musical tastes among us.
3: What are the bands or albums that have changed the course of music? Beastie Boys,
1: Nirvana, Cypress Hill, Portishead, Indigo Girls, Talent Big Black, the Cure. Arrested Development, Sonic Youth, Radiohead,
3: Afex Twin,
1: Primus, Will Old, Tribe Called Quest, Mashing Pumpkins, The Chili Peppers,
3: Doctor Dre,
0: TLC,
1: Faith No More, Counting Crows, Back.
3: The Orb, Primal Scream, and Tool. Here's how
0: the conversation was framed, with a basic agreement that some killer music was made between 1987 and 1995. I asked everyone to come to the table with a list of five albums that had such an impact on music as we knew it that they changed the direction of a genre, or literally created new genres, or influenced a wave of musicians who followed them. Here's the thing. The albums didn't have to be favorites then or now, and there could and would be redundancy across the lists. What was more important was the impact that music made. Here are some highlights. Like the 1987
1: album Document by R.E.M. So I think Document is a record that took an indie band, a nobody-listened-to band. This was clearly the well-oiled, finely-muscled machine that was about to become the R.E.M. that was going to change the path of music and open up doors for everybody else.
2: Portishead Dummy, 1994. Talking about flipping the world of electronic on its head. There was a lot of upbeat electronics happening then, and then they just... Did a bunch of drugs and slowed it way down, and, and changed the whole scene with their recording style, with the way they resampled, you know, um, strings and recording them the cassette to give it that old vintage feel. Just, just all the production techniques that people are still trying to use today. I'll
3: talk about Big Black songs about effing uh, from 1987. So right at the beginning of of this period, but you know. For people that don't know about Big Block, they're a post-punk noise rock trio from Chicago. And they created this ferocious pummeling sound that was sort of like a buzzsaw uh, through the 80s underground. So you might not know much about them, but pretty much every subsequent industrial or post-punk noise rock band has pretty much credited them as being influential
0: a record that i think actually turned a whole generation of people into fans of post-punk music was disintegration by the cure all these kids they wanted to tap into that that angst right that sort of somber melancholy this record sort of gave them that voice and all of a sudden all of these other bands that were making good records and were part of an underground scene were now we're now mainstreaming. Then there were those records that rippled across all segments of rock music. Jane's
1: Addiction's 1988 studio debut, Nothing Shocking. Think about what was going on musically in Los Angeles in 1988. That's the Sunset Strip. I mean, that's Guns N' Roses. That's Poison. That's Motley Crue and these fucking circus clowns man like these guys are they're, they're circus demons like they're just crazy and they do this record that the metalheads like that the alternative guys like that that nobody can really hate they're more afraid of it than they are anything
3: and we listened to the entire tape in a car ride somewhere i think i said it was like the beatles it was just so amazing that everything was different but it was fucking out of control like uh mountain song that just i mean that's like the heaviest heaviest heavy that you can imagine yeah that was that blew my mind back then it's sequenced sequenced perfectly
2: yes 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 when ocean size comes on i mean it's crazy It's crazy it was the two and the two right so perry and
0: eric were playing this like sort of post-punk gothy music you know, Perry's Psycom project was basically Bauhaus, you know, and and New Order kind of mixed together. So you had that edge, and then you had these two kids who were metalheads. They were playing like Maiden and Priest kind of stuff, and they came together, and that's where that confluence came together. And I'm a metalhead, right? I'm playing in thrash bands at the time, but I'm secretly listening to Cure records. Like the the Standing on a Beach was was something I copied from my cousin, a skater, you know, from another town, and so. I'm like, listening to that, I'm curious about it, and Jane's Addiction brought those two worlds and just just crushed them into each other. And it was just, fuck. Like, there was, you couldn't, ugh, it was so beautiful. Not only rock and metal and post-punk, but other genres like hip hop saw an incredible amount of groundbreaking innovation during this era. Including breaking through and crossing over into other genres. A
2: record that really changed um, the whole game of hip hop. Beastie Boys' *Paul's Boutique*. You know, you could never, never make that record now. It'll, it'll never be made again. There
3: were just so many. Oh, yeah. Hip hop albums. I I loved hip hop back then. Mine was *Fear of a Black Planet*.
2: Yes, sir. Yes. Sir. I
3: mean, that's I. That was uh. You know like a wall, it's like Phil Spector's wall of sound, but except the bomb squad's doing bomb it. Bomb squad. And it's just a, a literal wall of sound. And you've got this, you've got Chuck D just bellowing, militant, revolutionary, just this is this is the end and they aren't going to take it anymore.
0: Well, you know, the one thing that happened, for better or worse... Uh, depending on your opinion of uh, rap metal that really came uh, to fruition later in the 90s, Anthrax and Public Enemy doing Bring the Noise. Yes, sir. Again, right in the heart of this era, it just like, it blew the doors open on this new thing. You know, I mean...
3: If you want to talk about Public Enemy's dedication to something like that, on Channel Zero, they sample Slayer. This Slayer riff is the entire song of Channel Zero. It is fucking... Killer. Fucking fucking killer. killer. Killer.
0: Killer. This era was not as kind to the popular short lived genres of the 80s like new wave and hair metal. But one record helped shove heavier metal into the mainstream. The Black Album by Metallica came out in, in uh, 1991, 30 year anniversary for that as well. But I think that record is a, was so incredibly important because it took heavy metal, not hair metal, but but real heavy metal. And said, this is something that the greater population would actually appreciate if done well. And, you know, I did watch the double VHS documentary of the making of that record back in like
3: 1996. Double VHS? Yes, it was a double
0: VHS. <laughs> and and it, was, it was really fantastic. Like, it was really cool to get into the heart of them making that record. Um, but the rise of alternative rock music particularly Nirvana's Nevermind, which was released on September 24th, 1991.
1: is widely seen as the most dramatic shift in musical history from this era. So this is where Nevermind, I think, is so important. Nevermind happens. They made the format, alternative rock format, over a weekend because they saw the reaction to it. At that time, there was like six reporting stations, which that means the top 120 radio stations in the country. There's less than six that would be considered alternative rock. So the great thing was, is alternative rock was everything. You remember, like you on the X in Pittsburgh, you could hear you you you'd hear Anthrax, you'd hear Nirvana, you'd hear the late cuts, deep hip hop stuff. You heard everything that didn't have a home elsewhere. Lollapalooza, right? It was a Lollapalooza. And radio.
0: Lollapalooza really was the embodiment of that for a few years before it got swallowed up and corporatized. I mean, in '93, it was that was the rage. Arrested Development, Primus. <laughs> Those three and Tool. I saw Tool on the side stage with a hundred people. Yeah, you know, we went to get a you know a yeah. snow cone, and yeah. we're standing there watching Tool play yeah. on a side stage. Unbelievable!
3: Yeah. <laughs> with your snow cone. <laughs> this these guys are great. <laughs> a
0: great band. There were just so many great records by great artists who've had a lasting effect on music.
3: Sonic Youth, Daydream Nation,
0: Nine Snails, The Downward Spiral. The one thing I'll say about the Smashing Pumpkins, I'm still a big fan. In my opinion, what Billy Corgan's ultimate contribution to this era was was butch vig and gish it was their relationship making gish and the sound that they got which was completely different and obsessing on this and creating a sound that didn't exist it was like tools bass sound you know in in 1994 myself included walked into a music store and said i want to buy a bass amp and the guy said what do you want and i said whatever the guy from tools playing." It was like, that's what you fucking wanted. That's what Billy Corgan did with Butch Vig. And it was like, and then all of a sudden he, you know, it's, it's never mind. And it's all these other records he made and garbage and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, where does Butch Vig fall in this conversation? Oh, he's, you know, fucking, he's in the room. He's totally in the room. He's got ugh. anyway, not not a fan at the time. Uh, I have a lot of respect for it after the fact Well, U2's Octung Baby came out in 1991. Can you fucking believe that record also came out in nineteen? Talk about
1: huge. Right, that record was gigantic.
0: And here's the fucked up thing about it. At the time, it was just a record. Just
3: Just another another record. record. Right? Just another record that comes out. Just another record. Just another record. Just another record.
2: Now I know what
0: podcasts are. Erase the filter. So much incredible music. We talked for a couple of hours and didn't even get to bands like the Cocteau Twins, whose Bluebell Knoll and Heaven or Las Vegas albums helped spawn two genres, dream pop and shoegaze, that would become wildly popular by the mid-1990s. Or albums like Peter Gabriel's 1989 Passion, music for The Last Temptation of Christ, that turned a whole generation onto world music and ambient music at the same time. Just so much incredible music. So much incredible music. We could have talked all night, and we concluded in the most unscientific way possible that this indeed was a second golden era of music, and the most recent one. If you don't believe me or you think we're crazy, that's fine. But just play along for a few minutes while we beg the question, can there be another golden era? The confluence of a record industry that was mature enough right, to have resources, because that's a big part of this. A big part of getting all this music into our ears was the maturity of MTV being 10 years old, right? The maturity of terrestrial radio, the the maturity of the record industry. The 60s were like really trying to figure it out. The 70s were the money started to come in. The 80s were when there was so much fucking money, everybody was super rich. By 1990, if you wanted a band to make it big, you had to budget to help that band make it big. The confluence of technology, all of the new technology, the drum machines, the samplers, you know, all of this crazy
2: shit that was going on. I mean, is there just too many options for there to be an era like this? Uh, Like, there's so much to listen to and there's so many artists now and it's not confined. And, you know, I mean, I guess you have the playlist, but you don't have like the Billboard charts or what's, you know, playing on MTV's, you know hot 20 countdown or whatever the hell it is. Um, is it just too much? Well, you know, and that's really where my leading
0: question comes from.
2: There were tastemakers. You know, there, there were radio stations. There were DJs, like, as you guys were. Do those exist anymore? Is it too oversaturated? There's just too much music out there.
3: Gatekeepers. It was the labels and the the stations and pay to play and things of that nature. It still exists, though. It, st- it exists now. Uh, filmmakers are not really going to get recognized unless you get on Netflix.
0: I agree with you, Dave, that the gatekeepers do exist. But I also agree with Chuck that the amount of gatekeepers, because the amount of platforms has spread us out to the point where we echo chamber our own tastes and the algorithms echo chamber our tastes for us. That's, I think, where, where it goes wrong. I
3: think that the good stuff bubbles up no matter what. And I think gatekeepers, for better or for worse, will spotlight the serious contenders for mass consumption and or further consideration. I heard
1: the music industry recently described as a decent singer combined with a can-do attitude and someone on a laptop, that that's the current music industry. Pop
0: music for sure, right? Here's an argument that I'll make that, that directly speaks to the question of can there be another golden era? Here's an opinion on why I don't think that it's necessarily possible if things stay relatively similar to the way they are now. I think that the good shit does shine through currently. I will stumble upon a band that started five years ago and has millions and millions and millions of streams and plays and all the things, and they're touring around headlining really nice theaters, and I've never heard of them before because I think that there are these little mini eras going on in these little mini sub-genres all the time. And there are bands that are breaking through and they're uh, influencing a genre of music or a group of bands or some other subculture. And they're influencing that subculture on its own, right, out there somewhere. Because it's all so splintered, I may never hear of that band ever. You may never hear of that band. I'm listening to bands right now that came out in the last 10 years and are doing very well for themselves. You probably have never heard of them and you're probably doing the same. You're listening to bands that I've never heard of. Whereas I think this golden era was sort of the beginning of the end of that, where even though I was never a hip hop fan, I don't own hip hop records. I knew who NWA was. I knew who Public Enemy was. I knew who Snoop Dogg was. I knew who Dr. Dre was. I knew who who even some of the sub players were, like the, the, the bands that were a little bit more fringe because we had common channels. We had incidentals. There was just ways of hearing this stuff and being exposed to it globally. When you walked into Tower Records, you had to walk past every end cap to get to your little aisle that you wanted to shop in. And that's the stuff that's gone. That's the part that's just not there anymore. I don't know that it's better or worse. I'm listening to music that I love that's new. And it, it's moving me as much as some of the music that we're talking about moves me.
3: Is there music that you've been listening to, let's say since 2017, that you feel is redefining music or or making some statement that is as influential as, that, as the music that we've talked about?
0: As influential, but for a smaller group of people. Thanks for making it this far into a conversation that was really about four guys geeking out on the music of our youth. I'll leave you with one concluding thought about the golden era and whether or not there will be another one. Perhaps the answer to the question is more, when you say no, it's, can it be the way that it was? Can there be another golden era? Maybe so, but can there be one in the same or similar way than it than it had been in the past? And that's probably not, right? Guys, thanks so much for doing this. This is awesome. Thanks to Dave Bellard, Pat Buzzard, and Chuck Johnson for hanging out with me on Zoom on a Monday night in October. A full list of the five albums each of us brought to the conversation, along with a Spotify playlist, and a less edited version of the conversation can be found in the show notes on this episode's show post at EraseTheFilter.com. This is Jason Mundock. Thanks for listening to Erase the Filter. Show notes can be found at EraseTheFilter.com, and if you have feedback about the show, feel free to email me at jmundock.com j-m-u-n-d-o-k at gmail.com and always remember open your mind be yourself erase the filter